Read along with me, if you would, please, starting in verse 1. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadav, Abihu, Eleazar, and Itamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments in which they shall make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that they may minister to me as priest. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine linen, that and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen, artistically worked. And it shall have two shoulder straps joined at the two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of the names on one stone, six of the names on the other stone, in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engraving of a signet, they shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold. And you shall make two chains of pure gold like beaded or sorry, like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. And you shall make breastplate of judgment, artistically woven, according to the workmanship of the ephod. And you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. And you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. And you shall put the settings of stone in it. Four rows of stones. The first row then, a sardius, topaz, and emerald. Second row. Topaz, I'm sorry, turquoise, sapphire, and diamond. Third, yacinth, agate, and amethyst. And the fourth, beryl, onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve according to their names, like the engraving of a signet, each one with its own name, and they shall be according to the twelve tribes. And you shall make chain for the breastplate. At the end, braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for it, for the breastplate, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. You shall put the two braided chains of gold and the two rings, which are in the ends of the breastplate, and the other two ends of the two braided chains, you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. And you shall take two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate and on the edge of it, which is the inner side of the ephod. And the two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward the front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by means of the rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above, sorry, <coughs> excuse me, so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel, <coughs> excuse me, the sons of Israel, on the breastplate of the judgment over his heart. Well, when he goes into the holy place, is a memorial before the Lord continually. You will put in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Tumim, in which they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord, 
So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart and before the Lord continually. So you shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue. You shall be an opening over, there shall be an opening over for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around the opening, like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it doesn't tear. Upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple and scarlet, and around the hem the bells between, of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. That's some serious fashion faux pas right there. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And it shall be on a blue cord, which it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel hollow in all of their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen, thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. Now for Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them, for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. Another very serious social issue here. And it shall be a statute forever for him or to him and his descendants after him. Now, if you're kind of one of those people and you're new to the Old Testament and you read this and you think, what in the world? This is where in here at church. This sounds like a fashion show. Well, you're in for a treat. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I thank you so much for the gift of this time you have uh, given us. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to minister to your saints. And I pray, God, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come upon me in a way, Lord, that you would do what I cannot humanly do. That you would profoundly perform, Lord, therapy to each of us now through this text. I pray, Lord, that there would be every one of us would have ears to hear today. Every one of us, Lord, would have eyes to see what you want to show us, a heart to receive what you want to give us, that we would have so much fun in your word and personally be addressed, that we'd say, wow, God spoke to me today. And Lord, in that, perform every change you want to do, every, everything you want to perform on each of us, God, that we today would be transformed and brought closer to you and encouraged Lord, for those who are yet to know You, let today be the day of their salvation. For those who do, that they would grow to become students of Your Word. And for those that are students, Lord, that You would show us, Lord, the service You want to render through us, Lord. How You want to change the world and use us to do so. So Lord, now I pray You would redeem every second. Have Your way now as we commit this time to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. Now, we're in a text, if, I, if you remember, where we've been comparing even the Gospel of John and Jesus' seven I Am statements to this tabernacle. Now, understand, things make a radical shift here now as Moses is speaking with God. Before this point, 
the, the primary focus of this is going to be God. It's His ark. It's His table of showbread as it's His provision. It's the lampstand as He is the light. You know, and then from that we start moving out and we start seeing the covering that's covered in flesh. And we see from that we see the altar of sacrifice as Jesus is the good shepherd. But now God shifts from the focus on Him really to the focus on us. The focus on the idea of us being priests. And what happens when God separates a priest and what a priest is to do. Now before we even get into this, I want to at least give you a few scriptures so you can kind of get the idea. In Exodus 19, God has already primed the pump. And He said in 19.6 to the whole nation of Israel, You shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God had spoken to Israel and told them that the entire nation was to be priests. Not the type of priests in the sense to the, to the degree that Aaron will be doing here. But Aaron is going to be an archetype to their particular performance. Now in Isaiah 61.6, God says that you will be named priests of the Lord. Now understand it said His kingdom is a kingdom of priests. If you are part of the kingdom of God, if you call yourself a child of God, if you call yourself a constituent or a citizen of the kingdom of God, welcome to the priesthood. Because this is a kingdom of priests. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter speaking to Christians, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The same thing God said in Exodus 19.6. But then says, That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. You have the role of being a preaching priest. By Revelation 1, as we start to wrap up this big, beautiful book, we see the nation saying then that you have made us kings and priests to God the Father. To Him be glory and dominion, power, our dominion forever and ever. Now understand, the reason why we are this is because our big brother, our groom, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, is the ultimate high priest. In Hebrews 3, 1 it says, Consider therefore, partakers of the heavenly calling, the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus was and is our high priest. Now why is he still? Because he lives forever. And what Hebrews 7 tells us is, the reason why a high priest stops being a high priest is he dies. And death has this terrible way of firing you. Have you learned that? You just don't, maybe you're really thankful. You don't get to do this in heaven. I'm a little sad because I love what I get to do. So understand here, there's a couple quick things we look at as we kind of get into this. Jesus, in, by the way, the Gospel of John also changes focus. Now in the beginning, remember, he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. Remember, that's how we started looking at these. And he's the good shepherd. He's the door to the sheep. And then he's the the good shepherd who gives his life to the sheep. The focus is on him. But he moves from that now to, I am the resurrection and the life. And in his interplay with Mary and Martha, understand for them, this is a very real deal. They have a brother who's been dead for four days, and by now he stinketh. And so they're very concerned about it. They think the whole thing's done. But understand, now we we start to look as Christians and understand the whole idea of a resurrection was that there was a God who was going to lift up the people, raise them, and then separate them. Those that are His on one side and those who weren't on the other. So when we look at the resurrection, we start saying, wait a minute, a new life? Well, who am I in this new life? Don't miss that. Because that becomes the problem with us. 
If you have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, chances are you know you're saved. You probably know, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and that's about as far as you might take it. If you have to go beyond that, you start saying, well, who am I? Well, and our next thing normally, practically, to be honest, is, well, I'm like a church member. I belong to, and now it starts to divide all of a sudden. I go to Calvary Chapel. Well, I go to this Baptist church. I go to this Presbyterian church. I go to the, Ang- the Church of England. And it's like, well, I go to the Church of Jesus. Well, you know, and, and it gets to this point where all of a sudden the next thing in your identity becomes a divisive thing. And all we know now is, okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I belong to Jesus, and I sit in a pew. And that's it. But see, even when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, we start going, well, what does that life look like? Well, the life looks like the life of a priest. And God starts moving now to the idea that now if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, He's got a calling on your life, specifically and uniquely you. However, each one of us will have a general theme, but the way we live that out will be unique according to the gifts He's given us and the personality He's derived from that, or that He's given us with that. So understand, as we look at this priest and what he does, two things we're going to learn. First is how he points us to Jesus 1,400 years from now but also how he points us to us as we have the role of priest as well. So there's both sides to that. And if we want to be more like Jesus, we're going to have to become more like a priest because he's our high priest. Now with that in mind, remember there's two basic parts to this. I mean, the the last handful of verses at the end of the chapter, notice, it says that I want you to clothe Aaron's sons too. Now, it's interesting. I want you to think about what's about to happen. Moses is up on a mountain talking with God, getting these directions. And while he's getting all of these directions, Aaron is dealing with the people down there. And understand, God's about to make Aaron a priest while Aaron's about to go and get naked with a bunch of people dancing around a golden calf. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Because God knows full well everything. And if he knows full well everything, he knows what's going on in the heart of Aaron as God is speaking. Think about that. And even though he knows that Aaron's going to be this stupid, even though he knows Aaron's going to make one of the worst blunders in all of the Bible, that doesn't mean God didn't put a calling on his life. Now, the reason I say that is it seems to be so natural for people to think, well, God's called me, he's got this great call on my life, and then you do something really stupid and you think, oh, it's over. The problem is, the book of Romans says that God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. God, I mean, God's not going to discover anything about you. He's not going to go, well, I didn't realize you'd be at this point by this point, or I didn't realize you were going to do that, forget it, the deal's off. I mean, this is a God that knows everything you're dealing with here. And I think it's profound to note that God knows every mistake. Now, that's no license to have you go and do more bad things. But rather, it's a cause to celebrate that God never changes his mind because he knows all of that ahead of time. And understand, when God put a calling on your life, he already knew that you'd be dancing naked around a cow or getting drunk or doing something stupid or whatever it is. But listen, the same God who forgives you of that turns and says, go and sin no more. Stop sinning that something worse might happen. Understand, God has serious about us being holy and taking serious our call and our leadership. But in that, he still loves us and has a call on our life and he's not going to change that. His gifts and callings are irrevocable. So in the last few verses, he says, well, and here's the most amazing thing. Not only is he going to clothe Aaron, he's going to have him clothe Aaron's four sons. The first two, Nadav and Abihu, by the time we get to chapter 10 and 11 of Leviticus, those guys are going to be extra crispy. You can search it on your own and see. These guys aren't going to be priests for very long, and yet he still clothes them. Now, 
Notice it says in both cases that God's got a clothing and he's got a purpose for it. Notice in the first few verses, and, and just if you're the kind that can blurt something out, look at the first few verses. God has a couple reasons why he wants to clothe them. What is the clothing going to do for them? You tell me. What does the verses say? Why? That they may minister to him. Beautiful. And there'll be three other things you'll see. Oh, you didn't realize you'd have to study, huh? Go ahead. For glory and for beauty. Whoa, 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 check that out. Did you realize God actually picked out these guys' outfits and he says, this is going to make them look good. What does beauty mean? Think about it. He's like, this is to really make them look good. But glory? Whose glory? God's glory? Their glory? I tend to think God's. That th- he's going, if you put this on right, they're going to see me on you. That's kind of a cool thought, isn't it? So, I have a special clothing just for you that if you put it on, it's going to make you look good. Now, that doesn't mean that the heathen girl is going to dig your chili. Well, that doesn't mean that the guy is going to go, Woo! As a matter of fact, the heathen guy probably won't. And can I just say, hallelujah. You don't need that dog. He needs Jesus, not you. But you can look beautiful on the side of heaven but also for, your, for his glory, that God would be seen. But there's one more. Can anyone see it in those verses? Give you a hint. To verse 3. To consecrate. Notice it says that he may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. Do you see that? Consecrate means, and hear me, to set you apart. It means... That this, if, I, if you put on what I have picked just for you, you're going to look good. Not only are you going to look good, people are going to see you. They're going to see me on you. But also, it's going to set you apart. But in an ungodly world and God clothes you with godliness, how could you not look different? Think about it. Spending some time in Russia, it's impossible not to look American. We smile. It's really that simple. We congregate. We get loud. Yeah, we know it. We're on, the, we're on a bus. We're, ah, the going is just great. Praise the Lord, all this. And everyone's like, yet. <laughs> they are not happy. Now, we could try to be like that. Now, please understand, this isn't us attempting to be culturally insensitive. There are other things, like, for instance, we covered our mouth when we yawned. Some people had to learn that, by the way. However... When it came to the idea of the joy of the Lord, we were not going to stop being joyful because that was what the Lord made us. And it's really hard not to be. It's like stop being a boy when you're a boy. It's kind of hard to do. And the reason I say that is, is that when you are clothed and when God has ordained for you, well, you're going to look different than the world. And if your heart's desire is to blend in with the world, then you're, in, you're fighting a losing cause. You ever see that person and they're trying so desperately to fit in, but they really don't belong with the crew? I mean, they, you know, you've got like six guys and they're all like big bodybuilder guys and they're all like taller than me and they all look like Peter or something. And then some guy kind of walks in like Mr. Bean and they're like, hey guys, how's it going? And you're like, there's just no one, no matter how, and he's like, hey, I was working out today. You know, no matter what he does, he's not going to blend in because he really isn't that. Can I just say, dare I say, we're the Mr. Bean. 
in the world in that sense. I mean, in the sense that these people are like, they've got their group, and you're like, well, I, I should probably cuss because they are. Or, you know, I, I, okay, I'll take one drink, they're going to have ten. You still don't look the same. Because God's clothing you in something that's going to make you look different. Stop trying to blend in with the dead world when you're living, please. Because the world is starving for who you are and the enemy is trying to convince you to play dead. So, so it says at the end of this, in the last few verses, hey, well, let's clothe his sons. Well, let's just do the same as well. So, sons, no, no, yada, yada. We've decided to call a couple sons of Aaron. Because what we really want to do is to kind of help you get a better understanding. On the catwalk today is Nadav and Abihu wearing a lovely linen fashion sash in blue and white. Very breathable and good for that day out for the day of sacrifice. Now, understand, as we start this, what we have is we have just a couple of guys. Now, granted, the trainers, that's a little bit new. You're probably aware of that. But understand, it's a rather plain thing, but understand, in a heat that hits the high 40s, you definitely want something that breathes. That's kind of nice, right? But it goes beyond this. Understand, the clothing is going to give us, because it's going to lead us beyond. Now, their clothing is supposed to be quite simple, but there's two basic colors. You kind of got the colors, right? What are the two colors? Blue and white. Very lovely. White, of course, is a symbol of purity, but it's beyond that, because have we seen white linen up to this point? Now, I want you to start thinking back. Where in the tabernacle have we seen white linen? Ooh, the first layer was actually multicolored, but that's a good guess. How about the entire outer shield? Do you remember that? The entire outer shield was beautiful white linen, breathable, beautiful white linen, as if God was closing the entire thing in the same thing you are here. Why blue? Where do you see blue out in the midnight skies? Okay, that was a little hint, wasn't it? (laughs) God is constantly challenging us to look up. And there's a reason for it. Because understand, when you are a priest, even a priest's son, and you are called, you're in the Lord, understand, when you are a priest, you are a citizen of heaven now. And if you are going to, now here's the reason why we often want to blend in with a, a different crowd, because we don't think there's another crowd to belong to. And we're so busy trying to blend in with this, that we don't realize what this is that we should be hanging on to. Because someday we're going to actually cash out of this hotel room and spend the eternity somewhere else. Eternity. Not this little breath that we get now, this vapor that dissipates. And let me just tell you, when that time comes, you're going to want to know a little bit about where you live. Because all of this you're going to be letting go of. So understand, that's where we start this. This is your base layer. And let me ask you, has God purified your heart? Has God completely given you the opportunity to start with and say you're new? And it says, by the way, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. I'm going to keep harping that till I die. It doesn't say whoever became a new creation the day that they became in Christ. The reason is, listen, are you in Christ right now? Are you? I'm asking you, are you? Well, if you are in Christ right now, you are a new creation right now. Not just, oh, I just gave my life to Jesus in 1990 and I was a new creation. Now I'm like, a, well, what is that, a 13, 23-year-old sinner. You know, but God didn't go, okay, now you got it new, now live per- perfect and pure. You're continually being made a new creation and the reason is we need to be continually made a new creation. Do you know what I'm saying? Because God is continually cleansing us. Glory to God for that. So here are the sons, but imagine now dad's coming because 
ultimately Moses has the responsibility of getting these guys to do that. Now understand when he starts this, notice in verse 1 it says, Now I want you to take Aaron and your brothers and his sons from him, with him and among the children that he would minister. Understand, just listen, God selects for his service. It doesn't say, we're going to take a vote on this, let's see who we decide should be best. God has a specific service for Aaron that Aaron didn't sign up for. Which is really interesting because I want you to realize when the people came to Aaron down there and said, make us a golden calf, Aaron was not priest yet. He didn't volunteer to be priest. He wasn't priest in training. He wasn't a pit. He was actually just Moses' brother. He was actually the spokesperson is what he was. If you remember, Moses didn't do much of the speaking. He kind of went, and then he was like, and then Aaron goes, my brother says, let my people go. I mean, that's kind of what's been happening. Now all of a sudden the people go down to Aaron. Isn't it strange to think all that's going to happen and then how would you feel if you were Moses? You're going to go down there and you're going to think, am I still going to give this guy the priesthood? What am I thinking? But God has some specific clothing set aside for, by the way, what? What are those two things? For his beauty and his, for God's glory. For beauty and glory. Are you ready? So let's call up the Kohen Gadol. We couldn't think of a better guy than the guy who seems to dress up for fun. And that is our friend Bjorn. So, and since we picked on him on Wednesday, we thought it would be nice to give him a better role today. So, he was a dead body, by the way, on Wednesday. So, now, he starts in, in white because, again, you want a priest to be pure, right? And again, I want to remind you, there's an invitation beyond this, and we'll see that in just a second. But as we start with this, the first thing we're going to need to get is his robe. Now, it's going to be a little bit different order in here, but I just want to be able to point out these things as we do so. So let's take a look at this robe. This robe, by the way, very interesting because it has dingle balls at the, back, at the bottom. Have you noticed that? Um, pomegranates, which means God made a fruit that he knew was going to be a decoration later. Isn't that an interesting thought? And it's supposed to have one hole in the middle so he can stick his head through, and it's supposed to be blue. Because no priest is to be a priest simply of worldly matters. Now please, please hear me about this. Yeah. Oh, that was good. That's all right. Thank you, Eleazar. I'm going to give you guys the last guy's names because the other two don't turn out so well. Um, please, please listen to this. Within the Church of Christ, there is a movement to try to be nice to try to be as christian listen listen as christian as you possibly can but not offend the world listen the one thing that offends the world is jesus you need to recognize that you want to ask the world how can i be a christian and still be your friend when james says to be friends with the world is to be enemies with god listen to that statement is that a fun statement to be friends with the world is to be enemies with God? Well, that's a horrible thing to hear, isn't it? But it's true. And so what the church does, and if the world were being honest and flat and frank with us, what they'd say is, sure, you could be a Christian, you just can't be a real one. Because to be a real one, you're going to want to be excited about Jesus. You're going to, you're going to be transformed. You'll be doing things that irritate me, like having joy and peace and, and love for others. And you'll be praying and reading your Bible. And I don't want anything to do with that Bible because I've, did, I, I've decided I don't want to submit to that guy anyways. That's why I'm telling you he doesn't exist because I don't want to submit to him. You know, and you get all of that. And so what the church does is tries to find this place where we're almost Christian. 
But almost Christian still goes to hell. You wear that. It isn't like Jesus went, oh, you were almost there. I'm merciful. Come on in. What's the difference? Almost Christian is still unsaved. That's like almost alive still isn't alive. Almost pregnant isn't pregnant. Either you are or you aren't. And if the church says, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to feed the poor. We're going to help the homeless. We're going to have drug counseling appointments. There's actually, in Sydney, Australia, they have a clean needle program that's entirely run by a Christian organization. They, they actually have nurses that administer heroin to people in these things that are Christians. Or at least that's what we're told. Now look at all of that to say, this is what happens, is that what you have is that, oh, look at what a bunch of nice guys. So if I'm nice, I could be a Christian too. That's what it is, just to be nice. But that's the message we're sharing. This reminds us that everything you do should be governed by the mindset that there is an eternity you're accountable to. Let me say that again. Everything you do, you need to recognize there is an eternity you're accountable to. Does that make sense? So wait a minute, well, what if I do, well, I work. Well, good, well, work. But work in a way that you work better than the others, give the very best you have, do it joyfully, and represent Jesus. Do it in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of a nice person. Because it's one thing to say, well, what a nice person. I mean, it's so nice. And you go, you know, and actually, no, I'm a jerk. Jesus is nice. And I tell you, when that starts happening, you realize this robe's on you. Is this robe on you today? Because I want to warn you, there's something interesting about this robe. You know what's unique about this robe? It makes noise. And can I say, when this robe is on you, you're going to make some noise. People are going to know when you walk in the room. Not because you're big and boisterous, but because you are saved and spirit-filled. And that's different. Are you with me on that? So we're going to take a step forward. We're going to make it so that people can see a little bit better. This is the beginning is the robe of blue. With, by the way, it's got to be seen so that it doesn't tear. And then at the bottom he tells us that I want these balls and bells. Balls and bells is the idea. Dingle balls. And by the way, I think it's very lovely. It's interesting, by the way, and we'll compare this in a moment to Ezekiel uh, chapter 14, or 28. I'll talk about that in a moment. After this, then, we have the ephod. And all an ephod is is a decorative apron or vest is the idea. Now, according to what the Scripture says here, this has some very serious requirements. Listen, it has to be made of blue, scarlet, and purple thread. And gold thread. So let me ask you, up to this point, beloved, where have you seen blue, purple, and scarlet? Yes! Excellent job. Got to have, it's nice to have her in front. She's not a plant. She's actually there. Uh, she's just, that's where she decided to sit. Please, please listen. Please listen. Every doorway, every doorway of the tabernacle, every doorway of the tabernacle is this. Maybe not these flowers, but you get the idea. Whatever is on his breastplate here, this is also on the gates. And you go, wait a minute, I think I've seen those before. This design will be on the entrance to the tabernacle. This design will be on the entrance to the, to the, I'm sorry, the entrance to the courtyard. 
the entrance to the tabernacle and the entrance of the Holy of Holies, you're going to have these colors. Interesting, because these ones, by the way, has gold thread. The entrance to the, the initial gate is set in brass. The entrance to the tabernacle is set in brass. The entrance to the Holy of Holies is set in silver, but it's covered in pillars of gold. And I get the idea here that if we are doing this right, this, please, please hear me, this shows us we are not from around here, and that's okay. Isn't that kind of the message of London? You can be not from around here, but that's okay. If it's not anywhere else, it's in Camden. If you're not from around here, that's okay. Just, just for fun, look around for a second. If you are born and raised, 100% purebred British, English, raise your hand right now. Look around. Can I just say, with all due respect, my dear loves, you're the minority. If you were not born in England, raise your hand right now. Okay. How is that? If you were not born in Europe, raise your hand right now. Oh, my. Now, the reason I say that is, listen, you know, sooner or later you come here and you want to kind of blend in a little bit. You want people to look. And then sooner or later you kind of realize, I just got to be who I am, you know. And, and, and here's the crazy part. The people actually are more interested in you because you are who you are than you trying to be them. Have you learned that? Understand that as a Christian. Because as a Christian, you could be so busy trying to look like the rest of the world, and you're like, yo, check out my Christian swag, homie, yo. Uh, 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 I've got movers like, what's his name? Yeah, I've got movers like Wagger. <laughs> Come on, check me out. Uh-huh, yeah, woo! Right? And people look and go, you are just goofy. That's what you are. You're just goofy. And you get so busy trying to be that you don't, they don't, but when you actually are a Christian, people look and go, you are different. What's up with that? And you know the difference is? It's like you're not kind of going, check man, I'm trying to be you. You're like, this is just my move. And people go, all right, well, that's all right then. That's just weird, but it's your move. All right. I got you on that. Now, now follow me on this. But if we actually say, right, I'm a Christian, I, I belong to Jesus Christ, right? And that's it. You know what you did? You go, look it. I just want you to know, and this is what we can do. I'm a Christian. You ain't. I'm going to heaven. You ain't. I've been spirit-filled, sanctified, loving Jesus. You ain't. I'm so happy about Jesus. You ain't. So good. I love my church because I belong there. You ain't. Right? And we can get like that. And this is how we do it. Can you believe that person over there, that sinner? You know what they're doing? They're sinning. That's what they're doing. That sinner is sinning. Can you believe that? I just, I just don't believe it. Oh, that person, did you see, did you see his shirt? That shirt, that shirt said lost. His shirt said lost. And I'd think, he's advertising. Go share Jesus with them, right? Oh, your shirt says lost. Can I show you the way? What are you doing? Hey, he told me you were lost. It's on your shirt. Lost. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and what we do, listen, listen. We've, like, we've kind of put on this, but we haven't put on this because this is the gate. Did you get it? I think, look at, I love Jesus Christ, but I would love for you to love Jesus Christ too. I belong to heaven and I'd love to invite you too. Do you see the difference? 
It's like, hey, I did not in any way, at any expense to my own walk with Christ, I did not diminish my walk with Christ. I just wanted to invite you into it. There's the difference. And if we're wearing this, beloved, there's an invitation. There's a gate. There's a door. Do you get it? Because if we're not going to do this, all we're going to look like is separatist, elitist jerks, which we can do real easy if we're not careful. But this says, that person is different, but they want me anyways. Is that a bit crazy? But it's true. Now, on this particular ensemble, there's another part to it, and it's the shoulder part. God has a special shoulder pad for it as well. And these shoulder pads are really, really important. It's going to make them look a little bit like Adam Ant. So, um, these things, God has a specific stone. Now, see if you can find it in his ephod. There's a specific stone up here. Onyx, excellent. The stone is onyx. Does anyone know what color onyx is? Black. Black. It is black. Nice. And of course, Aaron's son stapled. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. And that's why God had Holy Spirit filled people do this. This is gonna I want you to know this is gonna hurt you a lot more than it's going to hurt me. I want you to know that. What do we read that's gonna be on these stones? The names of the 12 tribes. Please don't miss this. Now, I want you to realize where this man is going to go. This man is going to go stand before the Lord. From God's perspective, looking down, this is how he's going to see the 12 tribes. Do you see that? In Scripture, as they're stapling, and I'm sure you'll be quite distracted by that for the moment, in Scripture, God makes clear the shoulder is to bear the burden. In Psalm 81.6, He says, I've removed His shoulder from His shoulder, the burdens. His hands from the, are freed from the baskets. It's interesting. In Genesis 49.16, Exodus 12.34, Numbers 7.9, Joshua 4.5, and in Judges 16.3, for an example, what's on your shoulders is what you carry. It's your burden. And I want you to recognize that to be a priest, you're going to carry the blackness of a person. Listen, the blackness of another person's name upon your shoulders. Now, wait a minute. Somebody else's blackness upon your shoulders? Yes, we'll talk about that in a moment. With that now, this is our, our second part of the ensemble. Our robe that is the gateway, but this gateway has this necessary. This is necessary to be on it. It's essential because this gateway cannot be connected without this. This is what holds this together. That's the crazy part of this. Do you get it? It's the black stones with the names of the tribes of Israel. Now, with that, the, the names of the sons of Israel, which are the tribes. Now, with that in mind, now we go to the next thing, which is the breastplate. The breastplate, by the way, is going to attach to the front by gold rings. Interesting. Does anyone remember seeing gold rings up to this point in Scripture? The gold rings were on what? On the ark. Excellent. What else were the gold rings on? 
Yes, and on the curtains and on the table of showbread. All of the items were put, given gold rings so that they could be carried. Because please understand, this whole thing is going to have to be mobile. And every time I remember gold rings, I think those gold rings had, interesting, because those gold rings connected at the shoulders, because the gold rings we had on the other items had poles that went through those gold rings so that you knew that those things had to go from place to place. Does that make sense? Now take a look at this, because those gold rings now have poles that go through them too, because this is going to have to get mobile. Are you with me? There are two places. Oh, and you can put those down so you don't have to look like you're flying. Um, <laughs> there are two places where the names of Israel, the sons of Israel, or the tribes are on. The black on his shoulders and the precious stones upon his breast. Note that. Now note with this, by the way, this will be folded over, so this is a little pouch. And in this pouch will be two stones, the Urim and the Tumim, we'll see in the scripture here. Now listen, each one of these stones we're going to find, by the way, like this, are in rows. They're precious stones, and each one has a name. So it's Simeon, Reuben, you know, it's like, that's the idea of, actually, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Gad, Naphtali, Asher. That's the idea, Issachar, Zebulun, and then it's Joseph and Benjamin. That's our 12, just like that. You know what I do find interesting? is when you read, in it, and if you read Ezekiel 28, it talks about Satan before he fell. Do you remember that? You're only going to find two descriptions about Satan before he fell, in essence. Isaiah 14, double the number, Ezekiel 28. Those are the two places you'll know. You know the two things you learn? Is that he was covered in stones, and he made, musical no, made music, kind of was the idea. Interesting. Because if you look at this, the stones, by the way, if you look at the stones that are there, it's this row, this row, and this row are his stones. Third row is missing for whatever it's worth on, on Satan's stones. The stones that made up Lucifer before that were these, these, and these. And he made noise. I thought that was interesting. I wonder what role he tried to play before this whole thing came to be for what it's worth. But now watch this. Ready? Listen. You as a human being, when he stands before you, and you see your, you're looking for your tribal name, where would you see it? You'd see these. Do you get that? The precious stone. Listen, listen, listen. In the simplest sense, in the simplest sense, the basic role of the priest is to carry the concern of sins of others upon his shoulders to God and to carry the beauty and the love of God to others. You get it? When God looks, this is what he sees, the blackness of another's sins upon his shoulders. Do you see that? If I'm going to be the priest God called me to be, when I think of the lost, I should be broken over their sin. When I see a girl that's cutting or a girl that's running off and, and about to commit suicide or some guy that's absolutely wasted and he's holding up his girlfriend's hair while she barfs her guts out in front of him, that should not make me angry and disgusted like how dare they. Lost people are going to act lost. Unsaved people are going to act unsaved because they're empty. And if they don't have Jesus, how can I blame them? But if I'm not there praying for them and I don't see that blackness and I don't take it upon my own shoulders, what's going to happen is I will separate myself and I'll never put this on. All I'll do is I'll look and go, well, I'm just glad I'm not that. And I look at homeless guys sincerely. I Honestly, listen, I look at homeless people and if it weren't for the grace of God, I know that should have been me. I mean, I know what I was made up to be, and if it weren't for being saved by Jesus Christ, that would be me. And I tell you what, it is 
almost impossible for me not to sit there and talk to one of those guys when they actually are, are sober enough to communicate. And I can go, you know what? I know who you are. I know I could have been you, but I know what you can be. And that God loves you. And he took the blackness of your sin upon his shoulders when he went to the cross. But see, I'm not just wearing this. I'm wearing this. In Matthew 13, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like one who walked through a field and he saw a jewel so precious that he gave up everything to buy the whole field. Now, some would say, well, the kingdom of heaven, and says, by the way, to purchase the whole field. Some would say, well, the kingdom of heaven, you just have to give up everything so you can have it. Well, wait a minute, but can you buy the kingdom of heaven? On the other side of it, if this is what I'm looking at, the kingdom of heaven is like one who walked through and he saw a jewel so precious that he gave up everything so that he could buy. The Bible says you were bought with a price, saint. So glorify God with your body. See, you didn't buy salvation. God bought you. Because you know what you are? You're a precious stone in the sight of God. You are something so precious that he would be willing to trade everything else for. In other words, you are so precious that the richest individual in all of eternity gave up everything else just to get you. And somehow he thought that was a good deal. So exactly why would you try to find your worth anywhere else when the only one who knows you perfectly, that's how he treated you? Do you get it? And, and understand, if I'm going to be like my high priest, this is what I need to do. I need to be willing to take the blackness of another person upon myself, but I also need to make sure that I'm willing to take the precious attitude of God. It says, listen, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Do you hear that? The joy set before him. Do you know that that's you? When Jesus was on the cross, could you imagine hanging on the cross and someone saying, if you're God, come down off the cross. You should be thankful I'm not Jesus. I would have come off the cross and went, wham! And got back up on the cross and said, how you like me now? <laughs> and his father would have went, mm, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Praise God I'm not Jesus. But I want to be like him. And I want you to know that you are precious. But Jesus knew that the, to, to have you would cost him everything. And he made the choice anyways. One last piece of the ensemble, and then we'll read through the text one more time and see how it opens up. Gentlemen, give him his headgear. Oh, yeah, you have to wrap that around him too. Go ahead and tighten him up. What's that? Um, well, yeah, because you want to be able to... <laughs> Who is it? Glad we brought you in, man. Do-rag specialist. <laughs> Ithamar. And God's like, Aaron, I pick you because one of your sons can do a do-rag. It's beautiful. But don't forget the most important part. This is key. This guy gets to wear bling bling. Do you want to see the bling bling of a priest? Booyah. Now, can you say, Kadosh? Liadonai. Kadosh Liadonai. Holiness to the Lord. Listen, listen, listen. This is what, this is what completes the ensemble. 
holiness too. Hear me. The way we tend to look at holiness is like holiness from. What makes you holy? I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't, you know, I don't chew gum. I don't see any of those rated anything movies. That's holiness from. Let me tell you what's made things holy in Scripture. Can anyone think of a time up to this point where something was made holy or where God said something was holy? Let me give you a hint. We're talking about Moses. The ground. Yeah, remember, Moses is walking and God says, take off your sandals because where you stand is holy. What made that ground holy? Was it because there wasn't a rated R movie there, a rated 18 movie there? Was it because nobody was serving alcohol? Because God was there. Don't miss that. Holiness to, not holiness from. Holiness from says, here's bad stuff. I'm not going to go over here. But you can go away from that stuff and do something else unholy over here. Holiness to, what makes something holy is who you are holy to. That's the point. Listen. To Chris, Mary is holy. As far as I'm aware, it's his only wife. Right? Just checking. We're in church. You've got to tell the truth. All right. She didn't ask me to say that. All right. All right. Listen. What makes her holy is she is holy unto Chris. Does that make sense? And all that means is she's unique. She is unique. Now, Chris and Mary have two children. They're holy unto them as well because they're the only two children that are theirs. Now, there are some families I've watched, they think every child's theirs, but clearly, two, and I'm not saying that about you guys, but the two of them, they have two children that are clearly theirs. They look like them. They kind of laugh like them. They do funny things like them. It makes me smile. It's holy unto them. What makes you holy, beloved, will never be whether you drink or not, whether you see that movie or not, please hear me, because you could do all of that and not be holy. Here's the crazy part. Let's just call that piety. What makes you holy is being with the Lord. Here's the crazy part. When I'm with the Lord, I'll find myself not doing a lot of those other things or whatever. I'll be making choices that will be different because why would I want to take Jesus to see that? Or why would I want to take Jesus to go get wasted? Or why would I want to take Jesus to go get jiggy? Those things aren't going to happen because after all, I'm holy unto him. Do you get it? Now listen, listen, beloved, listen. If our whole life was like, Jesus, I just want to walk with you because I know that's where holiness is and that's going to make me unique. But then the clothing you put on me anyways is going to make me a bit unique because after all, I'm going to look different when I'm with you. Your decisions are going to reflect that. And whether you know it or not, God bless you. God bless you. And I mean that word for word. Um, Now listen, as we go through the text now, I want you to look at how the Lord has done this in your life. Because this is what he's doing with each of us. Why don't you give these guys a hand? They've done a great job here. Thanks, guys. Now listen. Verses 5 to 14. I want you to make that ephod. That ephod was that decorative apron. Verse 7 says, Two shoulder straps joined at the two edges an intricately woven band, and on the top of it, verse 9, two onyx stones. Engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. 
Verse 11 says that you put him in settings of gold, which resembles our faith. It's chains of gold, by the way. And I just say again, my question is, am I willing to bear the blackness of another's name upon my shoulders? Because when I look at that, I see tender mercy. Interesting, as I go on beyond that, I see the breastplate. That's verses 15 now through 30. And with that, by the way, I get the idea we have these beautiful, precious stones, which, by the way, we'll see in one way or another reflected also in the foundation of heaven and the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21.20 as well. And as I see this with the two gold rings, it reminds me that I'm going to have to bring the, how God sees people, His love for them. I need to take that and be mobile. In verse 30, it's important to note these two stones that went in. And Nate, could you show those pictures? Um, it says here, the Urim and the Tumim. Could you say Urim? Urim. Not bad. And Tumim. Tumim. Urim means lights. Tumim means perfection or perfections. Now, there's different viewpoints on what these stones did. Go ahead and flash to a couple of those, Nate. Um, this is one viewpoint. Can I just say, I kind of disagree with this, but this, was the, this idea is that these two special stones were like magnetic batteries. And when you put them in the little pouch and you ask God a question, they lit up the stones like a light bright. And you go, okay, green, yellow, blue, green, yellow, squeaker, squeak, squeak, and that means we should go and take on the Philistines. Well, that's one option. Or here's the second option. Go on beyond that. That's not going to do it. The other stones. There we go. Here's another option. A black stone and a white stone. Now, could you see how lights, that's a go for it. Perfection, that's a no. I tend to see in my life, I'm like, God, can you give me light and show me whether you want me to do this? Or no, because you've got something else and you're perfecting it instead. You're perfecting me in the process. It's interesting because if I look at that, listen to this. This is interesting. At least it is to me. Hopefully it is as, as well with you. It says that when it comes to things like Ezra and Nehemiah, they consulted the priest on the Urim and the Thummim. Like saying, should we go or shouldn't we? The priest prays, sticks his hand into the pouch. Boom, it's black. Don't go. That's pretty simple, but maybe I'm just a little bit of a solid, sort of a black and white kind of guy. What's really interesting, though, is in Saul's case. Remember Saul, the king before David, and how he lived this unrepented life? Listen to this verse. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Do you see something missing? Hear me on that. He's like, God, you know, God says, look, step off the throne, boy, you're done. I've given you my P45, you're done. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to be king, I'm going to be king, I'm going to be king. God goes, no, no, you're done. And then, and then he's like, well, can we just kind of dance around this? And God's like, ah, la, 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 not listening, la, 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 right? And so now he's seeking the Lord on something, and he can't get a vision, he can't get anything by the prophets, or he can't get anything by the yes. You ever have prayers like that? You know, I've just been praying for a husband, and I just, he has not answered my prayers. What, like the only answer he could give you is a yes? Right? You're like, God, give me a husband. God says, no. And you're like, God, come on, give me a husband. You're like, no. God just not answered my prayers. <laughs> Do you get it? There's like the Urim. You're like, you know, I've got the Urim and the Urim. There's a yes and a yes. 
And God goes, and then you're like, and then what happens? You know what happens if that were the case? You're reaching in and you're not finding anything. You're like, there's something in here that I can't, I can't where, where did I put that orum? It's around here somewhere. And God's like, ha, 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 you're not going to get it. Right? For a good reason. Look, at God does answer your prayers. Sometimes with a no because he loves you. Some of you, you were like, walk with Christ when you were like 13. And you're like, Lord, I just got to have that girl. And God's like, what? You're 13. And you're like, hmm. God says, later. And you're like, later's not an option. It's yak. And there's a yes in here somewhere. It's got to be yes. You get it? Listen to this verse. Now, remember where that breastplate's at? That's kind of a no-brainer since it's in the name. Listen to this in Song of Solomon. And I don't read it much from this normally in a crowd like this, but it's important. It's all scripture. Listen to this verse in Song of Solomon 8.6. Beloved, set me as a seal upon your heart and seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, the most vehement flame. Oh, set me as a seal in your heart. Oh, that if I could look, if I could look at your heart, could I see that I'm precious there? If I could look at your heart, could I see that you still want me? If I could look at your heart, could I see that you really want me? That I'm important to you? God says, take a look for yourself. And that's what we're supposed to do, walking as a priest. Do you get it? Then it's the robe, it's the gateway. And it's interesting, as I look at that beautiful breastplate, I think, what loving kindness is shown in that? I move on from that, and I look and I see the robe, and I think, I'm clothed in heaven. How can I not be humble before God? And I'm looking, I'm not haughty and thinking me, but over you. I'm humble because I'm looking and saying, I belong to heaven now. And I want you to be a part of it. And then I look at the turban, the turban. And remember the idea here where it says, I belong to you. That's the idea. I belong to you. Usually when a guy wears a hat, it's like this is who he has his allegiance or where he gets his identity. Nice L.A. hat. So um, mine says PT. But I'm not, I'm not, my allegiance isn't to myself. I, but I am, I am seeking to be faithful to the calling God's placed in my life. I take it very seriously to be your pastor. I take that very seriously. Please hear me as we wrap this around. I look at the room and you see humility. I look at the hat and I think, what meekness. Remember, meekness isn't the absence of power. Meekness is surrendering that power to the one who rightly deserves it. And then the tunic. The tunic that would put the whole thing together. And that just speaks of a long suffering. The idea of something that is long and is willing to forego. And I look at all that and I think, wait a minute. God does have a dress code for you. People go, well, it's church. Should I have a dress code? Praise God, it's not ties. Aren't some of you guys, would you amen that with me? I don't know if you know it. I have a really fat neck. I really do. I genuinely believe that neckties are the direct result of the fall of man. But there is a dress code. And let me tell you what it is. First of all, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13, 14 and Galatians 3, 27. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, put on the new man. Ephesians 2, 4, 24 and Colossians 3, 10. But then wait a minute. Ephod showed me God's tender mercies. His breastplate showed me his loving kindness. His robe showed me humility. His turban showed me meekness. His tunic, long-suffering. Close with this. Turn to Colossians 3.12, if you can, if you're, if you're fairly quick with that. Or you're good to click it in your phone. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, put on, 
tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. It's right there. As the elect of God, holy and beloved. And I think, oh my goodness, God has the same outfit for you. And you know why? You know what happens when you put Him on? You know what happens when you put that on? Let me tell you what happens. You look good. And... God is glorified. They say, I see Jesus on you. That's what happens. And you look different. But how can you not look different if you look like Jesus? Do you get it? Now listen, friends, I want to pray. But first of all, have you accepted the gift of Jesus? If you are that precious that he was willing to die at the cross and raise again, have you accepted his gift and said yes? Have you? If you haven't, I want to give you that choice. If you have... Would you be willing to pray this prayer with me today? God, make me the priest you intend to make me. That when it comes to the lost, I would be willing to take the blackness of their sin and go, oh God, please, show me how to be an agent of change. And I would take then the love that God has for people and pray it, put it upon myself as a seal upon my own heart and say, God, let me show people how precious they are to you. No matter who they are. God wants you. He really cherishes you and wants you. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for the blessing of this beautiful text. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you have intended. Lord, that not only did you call, but then you equipped. We see that as how you've given these guys your spirit of wisdom to do the work. But then you tell us in regards to those who do that, that if we're going to offer sacrifice, if we're going to intercede and go for the, on, on, uh, before others, that we need to be holy. Lord, clear up and clean up our idea of holiness, that it's holy unto you, not holy just from stuff. Because we know when we cling to you, all the other stuff works its way out. And Lord, I just pray right now for those who make claim to you that today, Lord, we could say, oh God, make me the priest you intend to make me. As, as you are the resurrection and the life and you live inside of us, the new life you give us as you dwell inside of us is the life of a priest. So Lord, show us that priesthood as you call us to it, Lord. That we could be set apart, Lord, and made beautiful by you to be clothed in those things. And Lord, that the world would see that you love them. And our hearts would break. And I pray right now, Lord, if there be any in this room who have not accepted the gift of Your Son, Jesus the Christ, but today now recognize that there is a choice to be made. And if right now in this room, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, or you're not sure if you have, you can be sure walking out of here. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end of it, I ask you to simply give a confident Amen. And what you're saying is, let this prayer be my prayer. Let these words be my words. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I come to you imperfect, spotted, guilty because of my sin. But you as a perfect God are responsible to punish all sin. But you love me. And you want me, and I am a precious jewel in your sight. So out of love for me, you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross on my behalf. And as he died on that cross, all of my guilt was paid for. All of my punishment was punished. 
And Jesus, that not only you died, but you rose from the grave on the third day. And now you offer me a brand new life, a life set free to love you. Thank you for bearing my sins upon your shoulders, the blackness of my guilt. And out of the love that you bear forth upon your own heart, you died on that cross and rose again. And now want to give me new life and I say yes. I say yes to Jesus being my payment and yes to Jesus being my Lord. So have me now. I'm yours. I belong to you. I surrender myself and say make me all you intend in Jesus' name. If you agree, I say to say amen.